there's more to this life than I thought. And James inspires me. The things he says have encouraged me. It's like there's a walk, there's a path, and it's leading to something more real than I've ever known before, and it's exciting. I get around James and I hear things that help me in my life, my work. This work he talks about has become my work. I am excited about the possibility that other people could be affected, other people could be inspired to work on themselves, to grow, to, to realize there's more to this life. It's bizarre how we crave the things that put us to sleep and eschew the things which lead to awakening. It's like we hate the light and we love the darkness. Now, I know that esoterically we've heard this before in the Gospels. It's <laughs> men loved the darkness and hated the light because their works were evil and they didn't want to come into the light. But our works are not evil. We consider ourselves righteous and good, just, virtuous. How can people sincerely long to awaken and yet continue to delight in the things that keep them asleep. How is it that we can be one way and imagine ourselves to be something entirely different? And the answer to that is, now I know that you're feeling very severe right now because you're convicted. It's like, oh God, that's right. We are that way. <laughs> you know, and this is not going to be a happy morning. I can see that now. He's, <laughs> his, uh, he starts off praying for Joshua who's having surgery and, you know, and it's one of those ouch prayers where we all get blasted because we're not humble and because we're arrogant and because we're self-righteous and blah, 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 blah. So you're already feeling under the whip. I can tell by the curled up look on your face. <laughs> You know, as you curl up spiritually and mentally and emotionally into the fetal position, because you don't like that about yourself. You don't like it. You're willing to at least allow someone to say it's so, but you don't like it enough to look at it yourself. It's not something you like to be reminded of. And yet, it's the very thing that you should take great joy in being reminded of. It's the thing that you should be saying, thank you. Thank you so much. But because we love the darkness and hate the light, we don't say thank you when we are given some light. What is it in us that keeps us so oblivious to how we actually behave in life, to what we actually are, rather than our pictures of what we are, rather than our imagination of what we are? Well, quite frankly, it's rubber baby buggy bumpers. Yep, don't say that ten times fast. We don't have time for that. I don't want to watch it. But that's what it is. The work says we're born awake and without inner contradictions. The work says really it's very tiny, <laughs> our awakeness and this area where we have no inner contradictions, this essential part of us. It's tiny, but it's ours. We then grow up with sleeping people who no longer see their own contradictions. They've grown rubber baby buggy bumpers to stand between their contradictions and real conscience. We grow them too, and then we fall asleep. It's interesting, the order of this. We grow them and then fall asleep. Your contradictions will keep you awake unless you put these little baby buggy bumpers between the contradictions. And then you have this cushion, this buggy bumper, that keeps you from ever having the shock of smacking into one of the contradictions. And so in this comfortable state of ignorance, we go to sleep and we then begin to dream of how wonderful and magnificent, how great and intelligent, how kind and virtuous, 
how loving and generous we are. And anything that would show us that any of those things are not true, we're protected from them by these baby buggy bumpers that we grow. I know, it's such a grim prospect that rubber baby buggy bumpers, kind of at least it makes us smile from time to time about it. Maurice Nicole said, if all people had no rubber baby buggy bumpers, they would have real conscience and no war, violence, lying, etc. would exist. Now, did Maurice Nicole really say that? No. He didn't say rubber baby buggy bumpers, but he could have, and he would have had he thought of it. But he didn't, and I did. So I'm saying it, and I'm saying it in the tradition of Maurice Nicole, Gurdjieff, Uspensky. I think probably Gurdjieff especially. It seems to me like something he would get a real giggle out of. Without self-observation and the special memory that it produces, it's impossible to see our buggy bumpers. Of course it is. Just like it is impossible to see the physical sun without retina, without eyes. You can feel it, but you can't see it. You have to have eyes that work in order to see it. And this is the same thing. We can't see these bumpers, these buffers that we have that keep our contradictions apart. We can't see them without the eyes of self-observation. And it's not just self-observation. You've also got to be able to remember what you saw. But we are like people who look in the mirror and then turn away and forgot what we saw because we don't have much work memory. And we don't have much work memory because we don't observe ourselves properly. These buggy bumpers are buffers that cushion us from the potential shock of seeing and realizing our own contradictions. We can't see what false personality is. We can't see what false personality said. We can't see what false personality did. It's why it's such a shock to us when someone treats us in a way that we don't think we should be treated. They treat us as we behaved, not as we think we behave. They treat us as we do, not as we imagine that we did. They treat us according to what we say, not according to what we imagine that we said. We don't know what we said. We don't know what we did. We don't know how we behaved. It's a shock to us every single time. Think of the shock of seeing yourself video recorded when you didn't know you were being recorded. Think of the shock of that. Think of the shock of the first time that you heard an audio recording of your voice. It's like, I don't sound like that. That's not me. And this is just, these are just tiny examples of these buggy bumpers that we've got that keep us from seeing ourselves as we are, that keep us from hearing what we say, what we say, that keep us from seeing how we behave. They cushion us from that potential shock. We imagine something else, and the buggy bumpers perpetuate our illusion. They make it possible for us to continue to imagine that we are something that we're not. For us to continue to imagine that we said things that we didn't say, or that we didn't say things that we did say. We can continue to imagine all of these things that we imagine. How much we've grown, how different we are, how noble we are, how hard we work how much right effort we're really making all the time, at least most of the time. Well, certainly more than we ever have before. And all of the things that we should be rewarded for. And of course, our disappointment comes in when we look around and we're not what we think we should be. 
because of all the work that we imagine that we did. And it never occurs to us that we imagine that we're working. All it occurs to us is the work doesn't work. All that occurs to us is that somehow the universe is being unjust and unfair. That somehow it's expecting us to do everything and it will do nothing for us. And all this comes from one thing and only one thing. Our inflated idea of what we do, what we say, who we are. And we can't see that because of the buggy bumpers that cushion us from the shock of seeing that right next to what we actually do, what we actually are, what we actually say. It's impossible to change ensconced behind our many buggy bumpers. If we don't begin to observe ourselves properly, we can't change. As long as we have this fortress of self, illusion, self-deception, self-love, self-adoration, self-worship, self-aggrandizement, as long as we have that, nothing's going to change. Nothing of any real importance. If we don't begin to observe ourselves properly, we won't change. Nicole said, a man must suffer from his observation of himself, but never become negative. Well, we've got the suffering part down, haven't we? We observe ourselves and we suffer. We really suffer. Not long, as we forget it quickly, because the suffering is so intense. This is why we look in the mirror and then we forget what we saw when we turn away. We forget what we saw because we don't want to continue to suffer. If we were looking in the mirror properly, if it was proper self-observation, if we were looking at ourselves like an interesting stranger, the suffering wouldn't be so intense. Oh, there'd still be suffering. Anytime the contradictions come up, it's going to be an owie moment. Little owie moments. It's like the baby buggy bumper is removed. And then when it crashes into something, it wakes the baby up crying. And that's how we are. We're like little crying babies who got our buggies bumped. And we don't like that because it disturbs our comfortable sleep. I don't know about the rest of you, but when I was a child, we didn't call them prams or buggies in the States. We called them strollers, baby strollers. (laughs) And there were some, because we had a lot of kids in our family. And because there was no car, we didn't have a car. Mother walked everywhere and... If she was going somewhere with kids, they had to be in a stroller or in one of these little carriages, these baby buggy things. Pram, they call them in Europe. And I remember them very well. I remember walking alongside of these things, you know, hanging on to it with the latest baby in the carriage. And, you know, I remember how there was this hood that came up over it to keep the sun out and then sometimes that didn't work so well so she she would have to put a little blanket over it so that the sun didn't shine in on the baby and burn it or it was cold or whatever and so I remember all these things as a child and and you know this little package in here that was you know this this thing that we were protecting that was before big brothers got to beat them up they were still dear and and something worth protecting you know they weren't they weren't annoying yet (laughs) I think back to that and I think, yeah, that was a great stage to be in that stroller, to be in that carriage. It was a great stage. We had the little, they had the little mittens on them so they didn't scratch themselves. And and they had uh, the little hats on them, you know, and all this stuff. And they were all wrapped up, bundled up tight. It's, uh, it was amazing. Back then they bundled kids up. They wrapped them up like mummies. And uh, there's a reason for that, but we don't really do that so much anymore. But still, there's a reason for it. We'll talk about that a little bit because it, I think it fits in with our state. In this game, 
that we're playing, the guy with the biggest buggy bumpers wins. It's like football, the American football. You see these guys get out there with these helmets. They look like gladiators, you know, these helmets and these big shoulder pads and hip pads and leg pads and braces and knee pads and elbow pads and special sh shoes and all this stuff, you know. And you, you look at all that and it's like, oh, my God, is there a person under there? And we're like that. We are so padded with these buggy bumpers. We're so padded that you have to ask, is there a person under there? And, and if so, where and what? What does he win? What does the guy with the biggest baby buggy bumpers win? He wins the right to stay the same. He wins the right to never see what he is. He wins the right to never see what he actually said, to never have to observe what he actually did. He gets to imagine that what he said, that what he is, that what he did is something wonderful, noteworthy, virtuous, great. The constant activity of self-justifying works to keep the buggy bumpers in place so that the hypnotic effect of pictures of ourselves induce deep sleep, dreams, and nightmares. But we're willing to put up with the nightmares because we know that another sweet dream will come. We know that after this nightmare is over, there'll be another sweet dream. And so we're willing to tolerate the nightmare because soon there'll be a good dream. The work follows us through life, relentlessly trying to awaken us at every moment. We live in an incredibly merciful universe, oblivious to the fact, but still, nonetheless, we live in a merciful universe. And part of the mercy of the universe is these buggy bumpers. If all of those buggy bumpers were instantaneously removed, you would go buggy. Buggy is an American English idiom for mad, crazy, insane. You'd go buggy. The contradiction would be so great that you could not take it. And so mercifully, we have these buggy bumpers that keep us from having to tolerate the incredible shock of seeing what we actually are compared to what we imagine ourselves to be. Remember, what we actually are is not so bad. It's only in comparison to what we imagine that we are. That's what makes it bad. We imagine ourselves to be something that we're not and so to find out what we are is a terrible shock compared to what we have imagined that we are if we weren't so proud if we weren't so arrogant if we weren't so full of self emotions it wouldn't be so horrible be like oh well that's just the way that is Gurdjieff said if it weren't for the buggy bumpers we'd go buggy when faced with our contradictions all at once did Gurdjieff say that no of course not Gurdjieff said if it wasn't for buffers we would go mad, we'd go insane if we were faced with our contradictions all at once. But he could have said buggy bumpers, and he should have said it, and he would have said it. In fact, I think he's saying it now somewhere, probably ten times fast, rubber baby buggy bumpers. Some people attribute to themselves great kindness, generosity, patience, goodwill, all those things. Of course, I'm not talking about anybody here. You know, I'm talking about those other people out there, those people who are not in the work, those people who, who are not smart like us, those people who don't listen to the podcasts, those people who don't read the books, those people who don't meditate, all those people out there. I'm not talking about anyone here. We're not like that. <laughs> yeah, it's like, uh, how can you meditate so much and still be a jerk? The person asking lives on one side of a buggy bumper. That's why it's not a problem. It's like, how can you meditate so much and still be a jerk? How can you... Spend so much time trying to transform in this process of transformation and still be such a jerk. Where did the question come from? It didn't come from me. I know. I don't have to ask how I can still be such a jerk. I am a jerk. 
What is a jerk? A jerk is someone who doesn't do what you want them to do, isn't it? What is a horrible person? A horrible person is someone who doesn't do what you want them to do, isn't it? It's someone you can't control. It's someone you can't direct. It's someone you can't make do the things that you think they should do. To what end? Well, to make you happy, of course. To satisfy you, the center of the universe, the God of everything. And that's how we live our lives. Judging all the others out there for not making us happy. Judging all the others out there for not doing what we know is right. Forget about your free will. Forget about your life. You're here to make me happy. You're here to satisfy me. You're here because I created you. Because I allow you to live. This is our attitude. This is the attitude we don't see because of the baby buggy bumpers that keep us from seeing that clearly as it is. When we look at somebody else and wonder how they can be such a jerk, it's because we're living only on one side of our own buggy bumper. We enjoy a picture of ourselves so that we can hate, judge, criticize, and excuse ourselves. We get to hate, judge, and criticize other people and then excuse ourselves for it with this picture. We never have to see what we're actually doing. We never have to see the actual damage, the harm that we're spreading. We never have to see the poisonous gas of our thoughts and our feelings that we are emitting into the atmosphere because we have this picture of ourselves, not just one. We attribute to ourselves the ability to deal with every situation efficiently and are generally the worst basket case in the buggy when an actual situation comes up. We're the ones who snap. We're the ones who get angry. We're the ones who order people around. We're the ones who demand this or that. We're the ones who expect everyone to do as we say. We don't have time to enumerate the many virtues we ascribe to ourselves. We really don't. Fortunately, we have time to list them about the others, though. So let's get busy. Of course, we're not talking about anyone here. Everyone here is in the work. Everyone here really has removed the majority of the buggy bumpers. Everyone here is facing themselves as they actually are. We can see what we actually said, what we actually did. We can see what we're actually going to do. We're talking about those others. The really amazing thing is the grounds that we use to ascribe these virtues to ourselves are absolutely comical. We have like no grounds, no grounds whatsoever. And yet we imagine that we could take it into a court of law. In fact, I remember somebody one time saying, do you see what I have to put up with? And the jury looked and went, how do we tell him that it's not the other person, it's him? It would be such a shock, it'll kill him. And that is when somebody is well-buffered. That's what you think about a well-buffered person. You think, don't say anything. It'll kill them. They'll go crazy. They'll go insane. Don't say anything. And the funny thing is, is that they use that very thing as a buggy bumper so that other people won't tell them. And what happens from all of this? We come to rest in ourselves on pictures, pictures that blind us to what's on the other side of the buggy bumper. What's on the other side of the buffer? Just like a baby in a carriage, all wrapped in swaddling clothes. We rest in there, shaded from the light, warm, unable to move much, but that doesn't matter because that keeps us quiet and still and happy, contented. What's real in us can't become cause for upset and can never become a picture. This is a wonderful thing. What's real in us can never be a cause for upset. If it's real about you, you can never be upset about it. The only things that you ever get upset about are the things that are not yours, the things that are not real. This is a great key 
to ourselves. If you're upset, it's not real. It's not real about you. It's not the truth about you. It's something you acquired somewhere else. It's not yours because you can't be upset about what's yours. And it can never be a picture. As has been said, we're always touchy about some pretense, some picture, some form of imagination about ourselves that doesn't match the reality about us. What is the reality about us? Well, the reality about us is the apparent reality. And of course, it's apparent to everyone except us. <laughs> That's the great thing about apparent reality. Everyone else can see it, but we can't because we're so focused on the pictures of ourselves. Without proper self-observation, we don't take in what's on the other side of the buggy bumper. When you see someone who defies growing in the work, you're seeing someone with a mass of buggy bumpers. You're seeing a football star. You're seeing a hero. You know, you're seeing a, one of the transformers with a big helmet and big shoulder pads and big pads everywhere. There's no way to touch the person. There's no way to get to the person. And the person is ensconced behind all of that. Now, of course, when you see someone like that, it's a good idea to remind yourself that you're someone like that. But we can't do that mostly. Mostly we're so outward directed and we're so enamored of ourselves that we can't admit that what we're seeing out there is really in here. It just doesn't occur to us. That's all. It just simply does not occur to us. We see it as out there because it is out there because we could never have that inside of us because we cannot see that inside of us and we can't see it because of the buffers, because of the buggy bumpers. As long as we live behind buggy bumpers that prevent us seeing contradictions, real conscience will never open to us. Real conscience is like a pearl, the pearl of great price, if you will. But where do they get pearls? And have you ever tried to open an oyster? It's not easy. There's a trick to it. It's not easy at all. And if you're going to do it with your hands, you're not going to get it open. You have to have a tool. We'll stay comfortable as long as real conscience can't touch us. As long as the pearl is in the oyster, we can be very comfortable. Because real conscience can't open itself up to us. It can't touch us. We can remain in our stupor. We can remain in our sleep. We can remain comfortable. Think for a moment, sincerely, honestly, how much you love comfort. Think of the clothes that you wear, the shoes that you wear. Think of your favorite chair. Think of what you think about when someone sits in your favorite chair. Some people don't think, they simply react. That will give you just a slight little tiny clue of how insane you are about your own comfort. We can see the wonderful, kind, good, agreeable, tactful side of ourselves. That's easy to see. And we remain comfortably ensconced behind the buggy bumpers, wrapped in swaddling clothes. Swaddling clothes, for those of you who don't remember, are literally narrow bands of cloth formerly wrapped around a newborn child to restrain its movements and quiet it. Kind of like a straitjacket, a straitjacket for babies. If we wish to develop the unacknowledged, not conscious, dark side of us must be mixed with the other side, the side we now try to live in exclusively, the comfortable side. Being touched by real conscience is so disturbing we can see how merciful it is that we have so many buggy bumpers and pictures to stifle it. You have all tasted the bitter fruit of self-observation. And why it's bitter is because you're not ripe. 
because your self-observation isn't ripe. And when you bite into it, it's hard and bitter and sour and you don't like it. But when your self-observation begins to ripen, it becomes much, much sweeter and softer and easier. You don't suffer so much with it because you're not so attached. You're not so identified with what you're observing. It takes time, takes practice, but it does come for those who persist. For those who don't persist, it doesn't come. They end up with arrested development. Real conscience has nothing to do with our idea of what it is to be kind. Nothing whatever to do with our idea of what it is to be patient or tolerant, good, and certainly has nothing whatever to do with our idea of what it means to be right. But just remember for a moment that we don't apply our idea of what it means to be good, patient, kind, just, right to ourselves. We apply it to all others. And real conscience has nothing to do with that. What we require of others has nothing whatever to do with real conscience. It's all acquired conscience. It's all imaginary. All the things in which false personality proudly revels, all the things that false personality proudly ascribes to itself, have nothing whatever to do with real conscience. In the light of truth, we begin to realize there's nearly nothing worth anything in us. Now, for some people, this is a big shock. But for people who have actually applied the work to themselves, it's not so bad. It's not such a bitter pill. In fact, your comfort then starts to shift and you find your comfort in your nothingness, not in your self-aggrandizement. You start to find your comfort in the reality of your being instead of the illusion. And when that happens, when that little shift occurs, it's a wonderful day. It's a great day because you can never fully go back and fit in the baby carriage anymore. You'll never feel as comfortable not being able to move all wrapped up in narrow bands of cloth that keep you restricted and quiet. It's true that in the beginning this can be a shock. It can be such a shock that many people leave the work in search of bigger, better rubber baby buggy bumpers. And you can do that too. And eventually everyone does. Eventually everyone appears to come to a point where they leave the path. They leave the work. Very few people seem to follow all the way through. They seem to be able to get just so far and then that's it, I've had enough. It's taken too much away from me. I deserve, I want. I finally rears its head again and says, I've had enough of this work. I've had enough of self-denial. I've had enough of discipline. I've had enough of looking at all these things about myself. And you'll come to that too. And I'm telling you now ahead of time so that when you do come to it, you'll be prepared. Oh yes, you've come to it. Of course you've come to it. You've come to it again and again, but you're going to come to it again. And when you do, understand that you're going to have to face it and you're going to have to deal with second force. And unless you make the work, esoteric ideas, the neutralizing force in your life, you will succumb. Most people do. If this were easy, everyone would be doing it. Now, it is easy, but it's not easy peasy for us because we have another idea of how life should be. And giving up that other idea about our own comfort is very difficult. Often the practical application of these ideas sounds like it's going to be easy. The ideas sound great. When we actually run into a situation or a person who's being a little more difficult than we'd like, 
we find it's not as easy as we thought it was going to be. If you've hit a snag with some aspect of this work and its practical application in your everyday life, I invite you to write James at SolidRockVista.com. Sometimes a fresh perspective is all it takes to get us back on the right track.